You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum and good morning. Uh, welcome to Saturday Morning Live on Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to your host today, Noshe Zafar. And today we're going to have a roundup of uh, a year in perspective, 2022. It's It's been a big year for many people. Many highs, many lows, and we thought we're going to to review uh, sort of the good and the bad, as well as consider what might the new year, 2023, bring for us all. Joining joining me today, I have my co-host, uh, Umar Bhatti. Uh, Umar, it's good to have you today. Yeah, Salikum. Um, if you can listen, well, let me put you on. Yep, very good to have you. Um, last event of the year, I guess. Last show of the year. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, I think... It would have been lovely to have some slightly better weather today, but do you know what? We're not going to complain because it's always it's always good to see some rain, especially after the summer we've had this year. And what a summer it was! Unbelievable summer, um, unexpectedly, unexpectedly or expectedly, depending on who you are. Uh, but yeah, very very hot, um, <laughs> highs of forties really. But yeah, um, I hope it doesn't happen again. But I think we're heading towards that way. Indeed, indeed. So. I think yeah, we'll we'll get started then um, with with our roundup of the year really, um, uh, and I guess I'll go first. Um, and so I think the 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 main thing probably that that everyone's I guess seen uh, as it almost the the main event of two thousand and twenty two, uh, unfortunately for all the wrong reasons, has of course been the conflict in Eastern Europe in Ukraine. Um, I think it's uh, one of those things that. A lot of people saw coming almost. Um, obviously, if if we look back 12 months, we we remember seeing those military formations uh, taking place near the borders of Ukraine. And of course, that is a conflict that is sadly still going on 12, uh, 10 months later. Now, of course, many people have, have lost their lives. Um, uh, and I guess there, there, there's a hugely long conversation that, that could be had around the politics of it all and who's right, who's wrong. Um, but but really, I don't think we want to get into that. Really, it's for us. It's more a case of the human tragedy, isn't it? Of of civilian lives being being risked, endangered, and and sadly even being lost. Um, let's not forget civilians. Th- these are not the people taking part in a conflict. These are people who are just collateral damage. Um, so it doesn't matter whether the 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 victims of war are are in Ukraine or whether they're in Syria or whether they're in any other country. The, the civilian lives that are lost in war are, are always a tragedy. Now, to that extent, I think um, we, we've obviously seen a lot of news around that. Now, Omar, what are your predictions in terms of, do you see this as a conflict that potentially could be winding down soon? Or do you think that, unfortunately, we've got a long way uh, in in this fight left? Well, uh, that's pretty much the million dollar question, isn't it? Will it end or will it not? Um, I guess, in the news the past couple of days, there's been talks that Ukraine wants to hold peace talks with Russia. Uh, they're aiming for March of 2023, I believe, if I'm wrong. Uh, it might be May. It's one of those two. But either way, I think uh, Ukraine are 
um, are the ones who are, you know, burn, uh, are, are feeling it really a lot, even though they're getting the support from the West. Uh, you know, the, we saw the um, the um, uh, meeting at the White House as well with President uh, Zelensky and uh, Biden. I was about to just about to say Putin. Uh, but if we look at it, really, um, there's been more developing news around the story um, at the at the end. Uh, where um, Belarus and Serbia are in high tension as well. So there's blocks being built in around Europe now, uh, Eastern Europe especially, where we're thinking of, uh, well, if one war ends, maybe another will start, or if this one won't stop, then another one will add to it. Um, so really, uh, it's quite scary times. And I can really remember the start of this whole uh, war because I was, I was very scared, actually, because I thought, you know, missiles would be flying into Europe and um, it, it felt like Russia would finish or end Ukraine in days but uh, it looks like with the support from the West with the defense with the military and intelligence they've been able to survive for now and uh, let's hope that this finishes in a peaceful and amicable way where they're able to not um, cause any more civilian uh, damage uh, because at the end of the if you look at the wider perspective uh, everyone around the world is actually being affected as well with the uh, high electricity uh, bills, uh, gas and heating, um, and food costs as well. Uh, so everyone's actually feeling the, uh, the the bond of this. So, no, this is a really hard question you posed to me, but it, I, 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 I'm not sure I see an end to it until both sides come to uh, some peaceful uh, solutions. Definitely, no, I absolutely agree with you. I think, yeah, it's it's one of those things where. Uh, I think yeah, uh, there's a lot of damage that has been caused, and and obviously, if if there was any sort of uh, friendly relationship between Ukraine and Russia in the past, that of course is now gone. Um, but 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 you're right in the interest of of considering the interests of of the wider world, it is I think in everyone's interest that Russia and Ukraine do come around the negotiating table, uh, no matter what your view in terms of. Uh, whether if if your view even is that Russia is the aggressor and shouldn't be negotiating with Ukraine, but at the end of the day, they're in the situation that they're in, um, and I think the whole world would like for them, to, as you say, to to come out of it amicably rather than through escalation. Um, actually, to, to to this extent, even His Holiness uh, the the Caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, at the very beginning of of the conflict, uh, had this to say. For many years, I have warned the major powers of the world that they must heed the lessons from history, particularly in relation to the two catastrophic and devastating world wars that took place in the 20th century. In this regard, in the past, I have written letters to the leaders of various nations, urging them to set aside their national and vested interests in order to prioritise the peace and security of the world by adopting true justice at all levels of society. Most regrettably, now a war in Ukraine has started, and so the situation has become extremely grave and precarious. Furthermore, it has the potential to escalate even further depending on the next steps of the Russian government and the response of NATO and the major powers. And this was a, a statement by His Holiness on the 24th of February, so the day the conflict started. And I think His Holiness really has been, A, obviously a huge advocate for peace and justice in the world, but also I think uh, very much ahead of his time in terms of 
seeing the, the, the real risk, I think you alluded to it in terms of blocks being formed um, and whether this could potentially lead to, to further escalation and a, and a greater and wider conflict in the future, which I think we can all agree we would all like to, to not see happen. Um, but yeah, I think um, we've spoken a fair bit about Ukraine. I think it's something we unfortunately do have to, to see the reality of on our news uh, every day pretty much so let's move on to to, to the next sort of major event of, of the year uh, i think you've got one for us somewhere yes rightly said so uh Noshe. um yeah my new story um is actually something that affected the whole of the uk the commonwealth and pretty much the whole world actually and it was the sad demise of her majesty the uh, queen elizabeth uh the second um I think we can all say uh, with whole heart uh, that she was a symbol for uh, Britain, um, especially if, you know, someone who uh, had come here from um, uh, Germany and was living in Germany, the only thing that we could, um, other than the red buses, we could um, uh, sort of align Britain with, it was, um, it was that, it was the, it was, uh, the Queen. Uh, so something to have uh, to, to have experienced this uh, loss during my lifetime is sad because um, at the end of the day, uh, if you support or you don't support uh, the uh, the monarchy, uh, she was a huge part of uh, British life, British uh, values, um, and uh, she was a, a heroic uh, person. And and I, and I will um, uh, justify that in in a minute. But she was a symbol, uh, and she was the flag of Britain uh, basically. And we now see, of course, her son, uh, King Charles III, I believe, who's now taken over, which will be interesting to see how how receptive people will be to his uh, new monarchy. As we know, he's grown up with the media and people are a bit more aware of what he has said in the past about uh, political issues, although um, monarchs and uh, monarchs are supposed to stay, you know, silent, basically. Um, but, Noshe, the reason I, I say that... Um, uh, Queen Elizabeth uh, II is um, a hero in a sense, is because um, because as Ahmadi Muslims, um, you know, we, we should know ourselves that we are uh, not provided freedom of religion around the world, um, freedom uh, in a very freedomly way, right? We don't have that freedom everywhere. We're thankful that we've been able to uh, Im- immigrate uh, or, you know, migrate uh, to, to the Western countries, which includes uh, Britain, and Britain being uh, a former empire of India slash Pakistan um, allowed freedom of religion uh, to happen there. So in one sense, I'm very, very thankful uh, that she was there. Uh, she did uh, that she did overtake um, uh, India in a sense uh, because, um, you know, there was a huge, uh, uh, huge clash between the Muslims and Hindus um, at the time of uh, the 1800s and early 1900s. And it had continued. But it was uh, because of her um, presence and her government being there that freedom of religion was allowed to happen and the message of Islam and the message of the promised Messiah, Islam, uh, 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 may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was uh, allowed to um, go through the whole world and start in India in the small village of Qadian. And his husband uh, is uh, Ghulam of Qadian uh, the promised Messiah uh, was a- also able uh, was also very fond of or fond of her, uh, such that he wrote a book, uh, a gift to the Queen, 
And in there, he expressed his uh, gratitude. And he said that in, in, in one um, summary of his own words, if I may, <coughs> apologies. He said, a great portion of the uh, beneficence of Empress of India is that during her reign, every person had, has gained a large opportunity for spiritual advancement. Now, in here, he doesn't actually just say that it's for his own community. He said that it's for a large opportunity for every person. So really, it's not just about Muslims. It's about every single person being able to spiritually advance themselves uh, to become better human beings because we know that religion provides that platform. So I, 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 am, I am quite sad because I, was, I remember just looking at my phone and the first thing which buzzed on my phone, literally, I know what I'm telling you, literally, which buzzed on my phone was the Queen has passed away or the Queen has died. And I don't need to remind you that was during our uh, national um, camp, basically. And it was the day before the camp. And uh, I, I was just about to set up the cricket field. And I literally looked at my phone and I see that sad news. And it was a bit in a shock because we knew it was coming, but we didn't know it was going to affect, I didn't know it was going to affect me this much. So I would have to speak about her today as well and uh, remember her. But yeah, she, she has been, I think, her, her positive uh, role model uh, that she has been, uh, has been documented. Of course, there's been some issues within the royal family, which, uh, is be, which has put her down in the sense that uh, it's made it difficult for her. But if we look at the positives at the end of the day, she has had huge positives around the world. She's, she is the technical president of the UK, the, uh, you know, the head of state. And she has done a great job and honor to her role, uh, however difficult it may have been in whatever circumstance, whatever se- uh, decade. So honestly, Noshe, um, this probably is my news of the year for me. No, you're absolutely right. I think that really was the the possibly the largest news story uh, for many people this year because of course just a few months prior to that the queen was celebrating 70 years uh, of her reign which of course is an unprecedented feat uh, in in the UK making her by quite considerable length the the longest reigning monarch uh, in British history um so yeah no of course it was it, it was it was quite sad to see that while in the summer we were celebrating a considerable high for Her Majesty, then obviously a few months later, obviously she her her life had to come to an end. Um, but of course, as you say, um, looking forward to to the future in terms of uh, with His Majesty the King. Now I think you're, you're right; people have a very different relationship potentially uh, with, with King Charles, um, partly because he hasn't been one to necessarily shy away shy away from the cameras and. Uh, and the press uh, from a, from an early age, I think some could say potentially he has been in the world's most comprehensive apprenticeship over seventy years in the waiting, hasn't he? Um, to, to get into his new role as the king now. Um, so I think yeah, the the public we're we're much more familiar with with His Majesty now than I guess many people were with the Queen when she took up her role seventy years ago, and and to that extent I think that will help him. Hugely, um, but of course, uh, His Majesty does have very, very large shoes to fill. Um, okay, then I think what we'll do is we'll take a short break and we'll be back in a few minutes and we'll discuss a few more stories then. So stay with us and uh, we'll be with you shortly. Storm clouds forwarding us of a third world war are getting heavier by the day. The effects of such a war would last for decades to come. Generation after generation of children would more than 
likely be born crippled or with genetic defects due to the lasting effect of the radiation. Thus, it is the urgent need of the time for mankind to work towards safeguarding our future. A new station, the voice of Islam, with live discussions, religion and culture. Understand the true teachings of Islam with the voice of Islam. عن عمرو بن شعيب رضي الله عنه عن أبيه عن جده قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن الله يحب أن يرى أثر نعمته على عبده. It is narrated by Hazrat Amr bin Shuhayb radiyallahu anhu from his father, from his grandfather who reported, the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam stated, indeed. Allah loves to see the results of his favors upon his servant. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, welcome back to Saturday Morning Live on Voice of Islam Radio. So you're joined by me, Noshi Zafar, and, and my co-host, uh, Umar Bhatti, today. Uh, and we're going through a recap of the year 2022 in the first hour. And then uh, after 11 o'clock, we'll be talking a little bit more about uh, what we're looking forward to next year. Now, I would like to remind you all that we are an interactive show, so you can call in if you've got any thoughts or, or ideas that you'd like to share with us. Perhaps you'd like to share some of your experiences and your stories from, from the year that's just coming to, an, uh, to a close now. Um, and to do that, you can tweet at us at Voice of Islam UK on Twitter, or you can call us at 0208 687 7878. Um, and we'd be more than happy to, to, to hear your experiences. Um, but going back to, to, I guess, our recap of the year, I think, Umar, uh, you want to talk a little bit more about the Qatar World Cup? Yeah, um, really, Noshe, um, this has been something for me personally. Uh, I've been split about this, whether I support it or not. But I thought it's worth mentioning that the Qatar World Cup, 2022 World Cup, took place and successfully took place um, of course, on the one hand, we had the issue of a uh, lot of laws in, in Qatar, uh, including, of course, um, which they had, um, and the workers' rights uh, laws as well, where they cite that loads of people had died, around 5,000, I believe, uh, although Qatar cite around 20. So there was a bit, bit, a huge discrepancy there. But at, at the other end, you look at the World Cup, um, it, it sort of gave you the, the best World Cup final ever. Um, people not drinking, of course, it was the last thing that they did a little U-turn at the World Cup, uh, although you could drink at, the, uh, at, at your hotel. But even then, um, you know, we saw that there were no arrests related to uh, drinking. And, you know, that's something which, of course, in an environment of a World Cup, if you hold it at West, any other place in the world, in the Middle East, you'll have... Uh, regular fights uh, coming in, regular uh, problems uh, being cited. And I think it was pretty nice to see that uh, this World Cup, that um, there, were, there were no fights related to alcohol. Women, w- women felt very, very comfortable attending the uh, World Cup in the past, of course, due to the uh, intoxication and other stuff. They were... Uh, uh, they, they may have been catcalled or been, uh, you know, abused. So to see some sort of um, uh, nice stuff uh, happening at the World Cup of Qatar being, of course, in the headline, uh, hopefully this puts a limelight on, on the Middle Eastern country, the Northern African country, 
uh, and other nations to think about. Maybe it is a good thing that we're not having alcohol uh, at the World Cup because it provided a platform for Muslims as well uh, to showcase their faith. It was, of course, sad to see that some uh, providers, uh, uh, news channels, were, did not um, uh, show the opening and closing session. And that is the, that, 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 that is the way they want to do it. That's fine. Uh, but I thought, um, you know, if they're giving them a chance, uh, they might, might have been um, be able to sway them uh, because um, yeah, the opening and closing session were uh, phenomenal, in my view. Yeah, no, absolutely agreed. I think first and foremost, I think uh, Qatar is to be applauded really for hosting a, a great tournament, not just in terms of the, the sports, but in terms of the actual logistical organisation of the event itself. Um, I'm not a football fan, but the thing is, I usually do ch- uh, tune in for the for the World Cup, and yeah, it was it was a good set of matches to watch. But also, more importantly, like you say. For, for the people who were there on the ground, it was a completely unique experience as far as World Cups go. It was it was safe um, and it was sort of, it was much more family friendly. And this is something we covered in the show last week as well. Um, but again, just like um, I mentioned last week as well, I think, sure, while Western media and any media is is open and free to, to choose what it shows and what it doesn't show on, on its airwaves, I think it was disappointing the decision taken by certain uh, media outlets to not show the full uh, breadth of of that opening ceremony. And and similarly, for some of the comments made regarding uh, the the bisht that was bestowed upon Lionel Messi by the Emir of Qatar uh, in the closing ceremony, um, we discussed that last week, but the the long and short of it really was that there were a few media pundits who were saying that it was it was not the right thing to do, and they were saying it detracts from the moment there. But I think when we look at it from another perspective, when when one person bestows a garment like that to another person, that is seen as an extremely high level of honor to to bestow on another person. Um, and I think Messi knew this as well, seeing as, of course, uh, it it is the the Emir of Qatar who owns uh, and and pays for his other footballing engagements. So um, I think he understood what an honour and a privilege this was, and you could you could tell that he was not offended. So I'm not entirely sure why other people in the media were, but I guess we can move on uh, away from the football. Um, and what we'll do is we'll probably talk a little bit more about other things that have happened. So looking here at a list of 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 a highlight of, of the year's events and something that's just sort of come up to me really is uh, it sort of came to mind because we spoke about it earlier in the year as well. Um, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. So, so they're a UN organisation. Um, and they released a report on climate change and they just uh, concluded that we've basically got to the point of being uh, at a point of no return at this point. We go any further with our damage and devastation to the climate um, and we are going to cause damage that, that we will not be able to undo. And I thought that was quite a uh, that was quite a harrowing report. I remember we spoke about this back in the spring um, in quite some length and this was one of those stories that really got us thinking in terms of well there's a lot of habits that a lot of us have that we think oh I couldn't live without that but the reality is if we don't live without x y or z habit whether that's using the car to do the school run or 
I have to have my three holidays abroad. I know some people have it good, don't they? Um, or, or whatever whatever else it might be. You, we don't necessarily think of actually there are many, many necessities that will be taken away from us in the future just because of our reluctance to go away from some of our comforts today. And I think that's quite an interesting um, perspective in terms of if we look at the impact that first world nations have as opposed to third world nations, we are contributing per capita as well as just overall far, far greater than any third world country is. Um, so really, it, it got us thinking as in, is this a position of privilege and is it a privilege that's being abused? Um, and, and potentially, are we uh, undertaking actions without considering how this impacts the rest of the world. I think, what are your thoughts, Omar? Yeah, it's, um, it was definitely uh, one of the things which uh, caught our eyes um, and we felt it practically as well during the summer uh, with the high heat waves around in the UK and around the world. And then we felt a couple of weeks ago with um, um, very low temperatures. So, not sure, so we only, only we're to blame, to be honest, and we need solutions. Um, I think solutions are definitely there. It's just, we are, I guess we're a bit lazy that, you know, people don't like change. People are not susceptible to change and it takes time. Uh, but you can, all, of course, argue that, well, this has been going on for far too long, so how long do you need? Um, and really, if you look at past recent news, um, even floods have come to Pakistan, you know. You look at, the, according to, uh, to Pakistan, one-fifth of the country is underwater right now. So... It really puts into perspective that uh, we don't need more evidence that, you know, climate change is real. But the other question I pose is that if we are to uh, give climate change a real go, uh, we we have to really see around the world. Because if you look at the whole continent of Africa, they don't really care about climate change because they don't have food to have the next day or shelter uh, for uh, for tomorrow or tonight even or for the next couple of hours. So... If we are to tackle climate change, we need to tackle also um, uh, poverty, uh, uh, which at source is the biggest uh, concern for human race rather than uh, rather than climate change. But I do see your point what you're making. There are still some big players around the world who are making, uh, who are unfortunately not following their, their, their promises and are not, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, you talk about the. Uh, Western countries, including China and um, and USA, who are still producing the highest uh, carbon emissions, and some of the and some of the um, big guys, the uh, the corporate uh, corporations, are still producing huge amounts, and they're still not following through. So uh, it's a difficult thing to see where, where where this takes us. Yeah, absolutely. I think if if I recall correctly from our show earlier in the year, um, I actually had a list of I think it was about twenty companies that have contributed. Uh, almost one third of all of uh, the pollution that's been released into the atmosphere in the last 50 years has been done just by 20 corporations. That sounds absolutely shocking, uh, but not at all surprising when you think about it, the oil and manufacturing giants out there. Um, I came across a statistic uh, earlier this month uh, regarding uh, sort of the impact of the the top 10% versus the the bottom 10%, financially speaking, uh, within the UK. And what was quite interesting to see there was uh, that the the top 10% in the UK uh, 
contribute more to to climate change just through flying than than the lowest ten percent in our in our socioeconomic society do, um, which I thought was massively massively interesting. But again, not at all surprising. So I think, sure, we we see schemes like the 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 ULES scheme within London being expanded, and a lot of people are saying it's a good thing. But equally, there are a lot of people who are very concerned. Um, including some politicians uh, who are saying that really this is going to tax those who are poorer much more than those who are wealthier. Um, if we think about it, those who are considerably wealthier might be buying a, a brand new car every three to five years, whereas whereas those who, who, who are not so well off might be driving a 15 or 20 year old car, a car that may or may not be in compliance with the new rules coming very soon. And so it'll be those people in the old car who potentially can't afford to buy a brand new one, uh, or at least a newer vehicle, even if it isn't brand new, uh, who are going to be uh, liable to be paying the, these entry fees to, to, to tr- drive around anywhere in London, uh, happening very soon, actually. Um, and it does make you think about the, the injustices of all of this in terms of uh, having one rule for, for, for everyone, but not taking into account uh, if you like circumstances and and how that can impact the the impact of uh, of a rule on on different uh, demographics, and so to that extent, I think it's one we probably need to be thinking a little bit more about uh, going forwards. Um, I think the world has made great strides uh, in the last twenty years, in the last hundred years, in whatever time frame you really want to look at. But but one thing, sadly, I think we we've got a long ways to go on still is finding equity and not just equality, i.e. levelling the playing field a little bit for people, making sure that while, yes, there should always be an incentive to work, there should always be uh, a reward to working harder and better, there should always be uh, a level of safety and security for all people, regardless of their circumstances. Um, But with that, let's move on uh, to to another story uh, from this year. Um... So obviously, I think COVID is uh, an ever-present topic for many of us still. Uh, it seems to be here and there. Uh, it seems um, to 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 um, be be leaving um, our our societal conversations, and even still, um, we've got COVID at the forefront of our minds, no matter what happens. Um, and so, obviously, this week, the, the UK government has announced that it will be imposing travel restrictions, uh, or at the very least, testing measures or, or on any people who are travelling uh, into the UK uh, from China uh, due to a new strain that's been uh, found over there. Now, if we if we think back almost three years, wow, that's been a, a long three years, hasn't it? Uh, I think some of our listeners might might just about recall what an R number is. It's how how quickly uh, an infection can be uh, transmitted to to other people. Um, and if I recall correctly, COVID uh, was said to have an R number of somewhere around three. This latest variant coming from China has an R number as high as eighteen. Um, hence, the government's concern uh, and the imposition of uh, new testing measures at the border. But what does it mean for us uh, in terms of, obviously, uh, here in the UK, we're currently um, combating uh, multiple fronts, really. Our NHS is, is stretched as thin as always, unfortunately, at this time of year. Um, 
We've, of course, got uh, our nurses, the very backbone of our NHS, going on strike due to poor working conditions. I think this is really just an appalling state of affairs, isn't it? Um, And so where does that leave us, the general population, I think, makes us think we need to keep ourselves safe. Of course, we've got uh, we've got the the strep virus that's been going around, uh, making, generally speaking, children unwell, but it can infect uh, adults as well. Um, we've obviously got the flu going around at this time of year. I think the the statistics from this week suggest that the number of people with with severe cases of the flu are up seventy percent compared to last week in in hospitals, and obviously we've now got a new strain of coronavirus. Um, to to contend with as well so I think yeah we are fighting a battle on many many fronts here and I guess at this point it's it's potentially worth just thinking what is the right decision for us as people now of course what what might be right for me and my family might not be right for you as the listener in your circumstances but it's always worth considering what can you do not just to keep yourself safe but to keep your family safe as well as your friends and and just you know the people around you safe as well Um, and to that extent everyone's starting to go back to the office um so it's a, it's a case of thinking maybe should i work from home if i'm not feeling too well or should i wear a mask on, on the train if i again i'm not 100% sure that I, i'm i'm safe to other people things like this might be worth considering um and so i think yeah we're going to have uh, an interesting few months um uh coming ahead and i i sincerely hope it's not as traumatic or or as severe as as previous winters have been the last couple of years uh, particularly with covid because i think the last thing uh, any of us want to see is our nearest and dearest getting unwell and and potentially having uh, severe consequences um but what we'll do is we'll take a short break again and we'll be back in a few minutes and we'll carry on this conversation then al-qadir The powerful, the one who has both power and authority over all his creatures. It is Allah who created you in a state of weakness, and after weakness gave strength. Then after strength caused weakness and old age. He creates what he pleases. He is the all-knowing, the all-powerful. Life of Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Treatment of neighbors. Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, always treated his neighbors with extreme kindness and consideration. He used to say that the angel Gabriel had emphasized consideration towards one neighbors so often that he sometimes began to think that a neighbor would perhaps be included among the prescribed heirs. Abu Dhar, peace be upon him, relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to him, Abu Dhar, while broth is being cooked, for your family, add a little more water to it, so that your neighbor might also share in it. This does not mean that the neighbor should not be invited to share in other things, but as the Arabs were mostly a migratory people, and their favorite dish was broth, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, referred to this dish as a typical one, and taught that one should not think so much of the taste of the food, as of the obligation to share it with one's neighbor. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, on one occasion, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, exclaimed, I call God to witness that he is not a believer. 
I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. The companions inquired, Who is not a believer, O Messenger of Allah? And he replied, He whose neighbor is not secure against injury and ill treatment at his hands. On one occasion, when he was addressing women, he said, If anybody finds only the foot of a goat to cook, that person should share it with his or her neighbor. He asked people not to object to their neighbors driving pegs into their walls or putting them to any other use which occasioned no injury. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, The Prophet said, He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his neighbor. He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his guest. And he who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should utter only words of virtue or should keep quiet. Muslim Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to Saturday Morning Live on Voice of Islam Radio. You're joined by me, your host, Nusha Zafar. And on the phones now, I've got my co host, Hamad. Uh, uh, Hamad, good to have you on. Uh, how are you this morning? I'm good, I'm good, Nusha. Lovely to hear from you as well. So I think you've got a good story you want to be sharing with us uh, regarding the New Year's honours list. So uh, fire away, good sir. Yeah, I mean, obviously, because it's uh, the 31st of December, so this is when the New Year's honours list is uh, published. And of course, um, just to add a bit more significance, it's uh, King Charles's first New Year's honours list. So it's always interesting, I think, for the public to see what sort of personalities people and um, sort of titles are being honoured um, because as much as the monarchy tries to be apolitical, I think particularly with King uh, Charles, um, there's been some political undertones and especially so with uh, this New Year's on list. So I was just reading um, an article and actually it was on my Twitter feed. So the first person was Sir Michael Marmot. Um, he's quite a big personality um, at University College London because he leads a lot of work on health inequalities. He came up with the term of social determinants of health, the idea that there are people that have worse health outcomes just because of the circumstances that they're born into, but most importantly, because of the political situations in the country as well. And for the past decade, he's been quite critical of 
um, the current uh, British government and the uh, policies that they've done. So I think a lot of uh, news pundits were quite surprised, and uh, I know um, Sir Michael Marmot himself was quite surprised as well um, that he, he, he'd be honoured with such an award. And I, I think it speaks to the sort of, I won't say fractious sort of relationship, but the way that perhaps the king himself um, sees these people um, and how that is different to with the way that he sees his government. And you can clearly see where his views align. Um, we, also, just to bring back the king's Christmas speech as well, it was quite, I don't know if you heard it, Moshi, but I, I mean, I, I personally thought it was quite remarkably comprehensive in like eight minutes. And his main message was about this everlasting light, um, particularly within our communities and those who act in service of our community and beyond. And Michael Marmot's work on health inequalities and you know, um, being critical of political determinants of health. Um, you know, the idea of certain unemployment cuts, austerity measures for the past decade, increasing unemployment, um, increasing um, f- food poverty and fuel poverty, having uh, bad health effects. He's been very critical of that. Then there's also some other political personalities. So there's Julian Lewis, who's the Tory MP for New Forest East and, and since 1997. I didn't know this, but apparently um, he somewhat humiliated Boris Johnson in political terms, as you were, um, in July 2020, because he was elected as um, the Parliament's powerful intelligence and security committee. Um, and Johnson essentially wanted to install another person who was a loyalist to Johnson. Um, Because of this, Johnson stripped uh, Julian Lewis of the Conservative whip and uh, Lewis was forced to sit as an independent for six months. So despite this sort of um, friction within the political sphere, Julian Lewis is now being honoured on the New Year's Honours list. Um, And then there's Alok Sharma. He's another Tory MP and former minister. He's being knighted this year, uh, well, in the coming year, for um, his work chairing the COP26 Climate Summit in Glasgow. Now, if if you remember, there was this whole kerfuffle on uh, Rishi Sunak personally disallowing the the monarchy, King Charles at the time, from from joining COP27. Um, So I I think there's another dig there. Um, Not another dig, but I guess for the king and the monarchy in particular to just highlight his alliances and um, honour... the, the person who was chairing and um, organised the COP26 climate summit in Glasgow last year. Um, so, so those are a few of the personalities. And then there's some other civil servants like Tom Scholar. He was ousted as the head treasury, treasury civil servant by Liz Trust um, and Kwasi Kwarteng. He's now being um, honoured with the Order of the Bath as well. So, I mean, I don't really read too much about personal political personalities, but it, it is remarkable to see, I think, the monarchy being a bit vocal, though in hushed tones, about what he thinks about the current state of the world in, and the current state of the nation in terms of its policy and politics as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's it's quite a diverse range of, of personalities on that New Year's Honours list this year. Um, and uh, it says, according to the story I'm reading about it right now, there's over 1,100 people on the main list, which was announced by the Cabinet Office uh, this morning, mm. uh, half of which are women, uh, which again is a significant number um, for, uh, I guess, I think we talk about it for the wrong reasons potentially, um, 
because it, it shouldn't be a surprise, it shouldn't be news. But but yeah, there we are. That that is sadly the world we live in sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got another personal question for you, because you just remind me of that. Like, what's your personal stance on New Year's on his list? Because I, I found it quite weird liking tweets with, you know, one, one of the personalities being, oh, it's such an honour. I mean, obviously there's narratives and criticisms about what, you know, being on it is and like the order of the British Empire or, or whatever it is of the colony now. Um, but, I, I, you know, do you have like a personal opinion on this? Do you find it weird? I guess a, li- a little bit, perhaps. I think that there is, I guess I, I potentially don't know enough in terms of obviously the different tiers and the different grades of, of the honours that are available. But yeah. I think we, we, we all know that of some of them are, are of a higher prestige and a higher level, if you like, than, than others. Mm. Um, but perhaps call me conservative or whatever, but I just feel like... Uh, a long time ago, these high levels of honours were given to people who made a meaningful impact to the world uh, mm. in terms of whether they were politicians or potentially they were people who had actually made a re- really, really significant contribution to their community. And these days, we seem to give a lot of honours out to people just in the media for services to entertainment or services to music or whatever else it might be. And don't get me wrong, these people have achieved a lot in their fields. But yeah. then, then they haven't exactly written a peace treaty to solve the troubles of the Middle East now, have they? Or, or whatever else mm. it might be. Um, in, in the grand context of the world, forgive me for being a little bit potentially negative here, but who's going to remember these people when their time comes, right? Or 20 years mm-hmm. after even. Whereas if someone's made a, a really meaningful contribution to the world, that their name is remembered for a very long, long time, even after their passing. And I just feel mm. like honours potentially should be given to those people who have made those significant contributions which will be remembered in the history books. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 the, the way that I feel about it is just, I don't feel too awkward about it. There is just that narrative of what does, you know, being a sir or being knighted mean. And, of course, we all, I guess, have to like reconcile with this question about the monarchy and like certain centrally British institutions within this country, particularly after the Queen's passing, where we're like, is this just, you know, a sort of medieval sort of um, pageantry that we have in the heart of the country where we um, honour and knight people and where we have kings and queens that are, you know, just vestigial, you know, uh, figures that don't necessarily um, act in the way that they used to act or be as instrumental in the country, uh, countries and situations and affairs. Um, but you know, I, th- I think you're right in saying that in any way we always honour, uh, you know, the people that perhaps have done the most important and vital work and perhaps, yeah, the best way to be honoured is just to be remembered for the work and impact you've done. Exactly, and I think potentially... There, there might potentially be a way going forwards in terms of people be able to to nominate those who have made a significant contribution in 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 their local communities. Because don't get me wrong, right? Like I said, uh, there are many uh, famous faces that you do see go, going to get their honours, uh, and mm. sure, sure, they've contributed hugely to their fields, um, whether that be fashion, retail, business, entertainment, whatever you name it, right? Mm. Um, but but you just think, okay, these people have their money, they have their fame, whatever else it might be. Surely we should be recognising those people who might be less recognised, whether it's the, the social worker who who's helping, uh, let's say, orphans or, or, or disabled people who, or whoever else it might be. Um, p- 
people who don't really get the recognition, right? As in, I think we need to recognize them more. Um, yeah. But I think, yeah, we've spoken quite a lot about the um, uh, the New Year's honors list. I think um, we've got another topic, which I think has come to the news in the last few days. I think, Hamad, you, you were mentioning it to me earlier before um, about uh, Andrew Tate. So do you want to tell our listeners a little bit more about what that's all about? Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you or any of the listeners, but I've had the pleasure of avoiding any sort of narrative around Andrew Tate, and I think quite a lot of people have said this as well um, in the in like the recent sort of news story around him. Um, so I've never watched a single um, sort of full video of his. I don't think I've even had snippets of um, um, listened to snippets of his. Um, all I know is that he has this sort of counter-establishment cultural narrative and a huge sort of um, following, um, and you know he's had a lot of spit-ups with um, getting deplatformed in various ways, but always finding a way to come back in some ways. But the news story this week, I'm sure everyone's heard of, is um, his apparent arrest, his him and his brother's arrest in Romania after. Um, uh, citing human trafficking um, um, sort of allegations against them. And apparently the story goes that it was because of uh, Greta Thunberg's um, sort of um, remark against him and him trying to create a video to just tally against her and spar back that um, the Romanian police saw in his video, I think, the pizza chain. There was like a pizza box in the frame of the video and they saw that that was the, the proof that they needed that he was within the country. Um, uh, and then they raided um, his house and arrested him. But there's key uh, information that I think uh, isn't being um, sort of spotlighted within the main media narrative. One of them is that um, this operation was being carried out for a year. Um, So so apparently some people are not necessarily believing in the claim that he was... um, arrested because of this video and the pizza chain or whatever else. This was um, a year's worth um, of operation work. The other thing that I saw, which I thought was interesting commentary, was that this was a raid by the anti-terror police or the anti-terror unit within Romania. Um, And I thought it was a bit fanciful at first, but it it has, you know, I I think it perhaps does speak to some truth of it, uh, which is that, you know, typically you wouldn't have the anti-terror police um, do this raid. Um, unless there's other cited reasons for it. And quite famously, seemingly, Andrew Tate professed um, uh, becoming a Muslim. He has, at different times throughout the year, um, expressed his likeness to Islam and um, the behavior of Muslims generally um, in terms of like their honor and discipline uh, through their spirituality. And so apparently he claimed that he's converted to Islam and then there were some political um, news pundits that were perhaps drawing comparisons to um, extra brute force needing um, his raid just because of his profession, which, I mean, I, I don't read too much into that. I don't think there's much to it. I think whatever it is, the human trafficking allegation is quite a thing to, um, uh, you know, I think it justifies itself if if there's any ground to that. But um yeah, that that that's the main story. I think there's also just something there, perhaps Noshi, that you might want to talk about about even Greta Thunberg and like the interaction on Twitter on that. I don't know, did you see that? Yeah, so yeah, I think unlike you, I've not been quite so fortunate to avoid this entire sort of uh, <laughs> Tate storm, if you like, uh, on social media. I think for whatever reason, my social media feed seems to think I might be interested. I'm categorically not interested, but it seems to think <laughs> I am. Um, 
but yeah, no, I did see. So there were there was uh, I think Greta Thunberg called out people for 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 their extra, extravagant lifestyles, and then obviously Andrew Tate thought he would uh, uh, sort of show off about his wealth and sort of the cars and all, all mm. planes and whatever else he's got, um, and and obviously then Greta sent him. Uh, a sort of quite a strong comeback which i think many people uh decided was quite a good comeback at, at which point mm-hmm. uh, andrew tate decided he needs to make a video response to to this uh, which i think is the video you're referring to which the romanian authorities used as proof of his uh being in in the country um but yeah it's it's a strange story and it just starts strange and it just keeps getting stranger and stranger you know i think this idea of the so-called matrix, this and establishment that I think it it's a little bit tinfoil hat for me. I was like, don't get me wrong. Do I, do I think everything's what it appears to be? Possibly not. But do I think it's necessarily as deep as he says? Absolutely not. You mm. know, I think there's probably something going on in the background with him. For all we know, he could be a schizophrenic, right? <laughs> right. So... Um, but yeah, no, I think that there's always strong, there's always strong uh, opinions and views on is there a, a so-called uh, secret organization of people who who call the shots or or not? But and I think it's it's always a strange one to be talking about. I, I don't necessarily think there is, um, uh, and I guess it's it just seems to be yet another call for attention. You know, I think again we were just talking about people who make meaningful contributions to society and the world and here we've mm-hmm. got this man here again hogging the limelight in, in in the media cycle like what has he actually contributed to anything mm. yeah so yeah. um yeah for for me he's he, he's one of those people that seems to just sort of pop up on the news every now and again I'm like, oh god not him again yeah yeah um, but yeah, we think we've got a few more minutes till till we get to the hour. Um, so let's talk about sort of one last story um, before we do go over to, to the break. And I guess um, what we'll talk a little bit about is in the UK, we've had quite an interesting year politically speaking, haven't we? And I'm mm-hmm. picking this right now because I don't want to get too deep into the rabbit hole. We've only got three and a half minutes left, but... It has been an interesting year. Three prime ministers, all in the space of fifty-one days. Mm, uh, yeah, I was just reading a Financial Times article that was talking about the idea of overconfidence in our leaders. Um, historically, Tony Blair was asked about imposter syndrome, and he said, "Imposter syndrome? What's that? You know, I don't have time as prime minister to self-analyze." And this um, writer was talking about perhaps we need the opposite of that is overconfidence and it's called like the during kruger effect and it should um, instead now be called the trust um quieting effect um <laughs> the, the, the idea of like the conservative party in particular having such overconfidence in their ideologies and policies and we've seen it just crumble and collapse yeah no i think they've they've clearly stretched themselves too far i mean Again, I think we talked about this on on the show a few months ago when when Mr. Sunak took took office as prime minister, um, mm. and, and again even then we said, sure, he speaks. I think he speaks well. You know, I'm I'm not a fan, but I, I will give him points where I think he deserves them. He speaks well. He he speaks concisely. He he can be out of touch. I think there was a video of him at a food bank. Um, I was just going to say <laughs> offering a meal to a homeless person, asking him if he'd like to get into banking services, and he's like, "No, thanks, Prime Minister. I'd like to get through this Christmas first. Yeah. Um 
which shows he's a little bit out of touch. But then, and again, this isn't really a defence, because as I just said, I'm not really a fan. But I guess, could you expect someone who's a multi-multi-millionaire, richer than the king himself, to really be in touch with the everyday person? I, I couldn't. So I, I I did see that video and I and I get it. We, we, you know, it's not just we're supposed to be. We have to be because it is almost objectively matter of fact that certain political leaders have been disastrously wrong and horrible in their predictions. But in that small video, just I know we're just going to quickly rush out of time. But I, I mean, seeing Rishi Sunak, I thought that was where the conversation led. I know that the media tries to like you know say like they're so out of touch, and rightly so they are in their ideologies. Like personally. I, I do think that, you know, obviously because of his lifestyles, he can't be so in touch. But, I mean, he was there. He tried to help someone. I think they mentioned, the person mentioned business and it was just a sort of slip up. But, yeah, there's, there's bigger things to critique. And that's my thing about this country and the, the media journalists. Is, you know, yeah. you critique more precisely. It's not just their personalities and what they do over the weekend and what they buy. It's how they disastrously got the you know policies wrong and how many people are dying because of waiting ambulances. I don't know if we've got into that yet, or you know we probably have to slot out another time for that. But you know, there's bigger fish to fry and bigger things to reform yeah. um, than just social skills. Yeah, and I guess uh, I know I speak for myself, but uh, I'm guessing potentially we've got listeners that'll agree with this. But I don't necessarily care what the wealthy do in their time off or or, or politicians <laughs> doing their time off, right? But what matters to me is that they take the time to listen and understand the needs of the people across the country, right? Mm-hmm. We, yeah. we, we don't have to see eye to eye in terms of lifestyle or beliefs or values or any of that thing. But what we need from politicians is them to really see what are the true challenges that everyday people are facing and then providing solutions to those challenges. Yeah. So whether yeah. that be for someone keeping both the heating on and having enough food for the children, I know that's unfortunately a decision being made by many parents across the country at the moment, or whatever else. But I think we do have to go to this break, and what we'll do is we'll we'll follow up after that soon. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Live on the Voice of Islam Radio. You're joined by me, your host, Noshe Zafar, and on the phone, I've got my co host, Hamad Khan. Um, going back to our discussion, I think, because it was interesting to keep it going, let, let's actually continue a little bit from, from what we were talking about before the hour. Um, about our politicians and sort of do they represent us or do they represent someone else Um, because I think this is probably something of a lot of interest to a lot of people at this time Um, and we were discussing of course um, the fact that it has been quite a a chaotic year in British politics obviously three prime ministers um, all coming just within uh, 51 days of each other and uh, and it does create it does create a, a lack of continuity, doesn't it? Obviously, three prime ministers with three different agendas. Sure, they might be from the same political party, um, but they've all got their their hopes to, to end up in the history books for the right reasons. 
Now, of course, that hasn't worked out for two out of three of them so far, so let's see if it can work for Mr. Rishi Sunak. Um, but we were talking a little bit about, um, I guess, his faux pas uh, at, at a food bank earlier in the week, um, talking to a homeless person and, and asking him whether he'd like to get into banking services. And, and to that end, we were talking a little bit about what do we expect from our politicians, and that really is them to understand the issues at play. We've talked about the need for for people to not have to choose between heating and eating, right? Uh, we, Like we mentioned, we, there are thousands of families across the UK, if not millions, who are unfortunately having to make the extremely tough decision uh, between keeping the house warm or feeding the children. Um, we've got many people who are considering going to work or, or or not going to work because for example for the self-employed who have to use their vehicles the cost of actually using that vehicle has become expensive with, with the cost of fuel rising over the course of the year um, and so yeah we're, we're in a weird place in this country you know I think we've said it so many times before the UK is one of the world's greatest countries but it really does seem to have lost its way a little bit at the moment what do you think uh, Hamad can we do as a country to potentially bring us back onto a winning strategy really to to get ourselves back on our two feet um and for lack of a more imaginative or or slightly less gross grotesque term but how can we make britain great again sorry there's always tech issues i think you know to sign off the year in like a year of zoom and whatever it's like your mic is on your phone's not working just to bring that back in and remind everyone but uh no uh, you i think um if you can hear me now hopefully everything's okay but um, the, the I think the idea of what you're saying, like what, how we need to get back on track. I was I was saying that it was um, I read this in the book um, by Jeremy Hunt, ironically, um, on the NHS. It was about zero and um, trying to reduce um, unnecessary patient harm, not to like down by five percent or, or whatever else, but actually to reduce it to zero and basically try to better the NHS. And it's it wasn't lost upon the reader that he was saying this as the ex-former um, health secretary of the country um, and the longest serving um, health secretary of the country. I read it nonetheless, and he said this, I, I, I bring that up because he said this about leadership. He said, good leadership is about having um, big ears, big eyes, and a small mouth. And again, the irony is not lost upon anyone, I guess, when you say that as a politician, when all you have is a big mouth and seemingly small eyes and small ears. But that, I think that's what's needed in leadership right now. And you talked about this just before the break about compassionate listening and empathy, because if you actually listen to the way that people are living right now, the way that people are living and dying right now, it's, I think it's hard to come by with anything other than just trying to come up with political policies that can help better people's lives. I don't think people are intrinsically evil and greedful enough to try and want to plunder other people's lives. I hope that's, again, probably me being very naive, but I'm clinging to that hope. But I think when you commit to the act of listening, when you actually hear about how people are struggling with the cost of living crisis and how the collapse of the NHS is being normalized to the point where we're not even reporting the deaths that are happening happening right now. You know, people are dying right now, people who died yesterday just because of waiting times. And these are politically designed issues. Once you draw focus on that, I don't think you can not look away from that. I think it's hard to look away and shirk away from the issues of the country. So all it requires is just a listening, you know, 
heart and mind and ear. Um, why they haven't done that yet, I don't know. Maybe it's because they know that once they listen, you know, you're bound to try and, um, you know, act act upon what you um, listen to. But but I think that's really what's needed. I can't say much about particular p- political policies. You know, obviously, whatever Trust and um, Kwarteng did in um, September is not the way to go. Um, and I don't necessarily believe in like trickle down economics if we're going to go more particular than that. But I think it starts and ends with just being more compassionate with your fellow countrymen and women. Absolutely, yeah. No, I think you're absolutely on the money there. You know, I think we've got. Um, a lot of people who want to share their ideas uh, in the political spectrum, obviously, but we haven't got enough people who are willing to actually listen to, to what the country needs. I think there, there has to be a process of first you listen and then you say, but I think at the moment we've got it all, all, all the wrong way around. Everyone's keen to, to offer their, this is my plan for, for how we make our country uh, in, into a better uh, shape. Um, mm. and, and no one's necessarily, like you say, taking the time to look and listen, um, because sometimes you realise actually these proposed changes, whether it be from from government or whether it be from opposition, they don't necessarily take on the realities on the ground for a lot of people out there. No, I I I, I think you know the the biggest thing it just like dawned upon me now, especially when we're talking about the end of the year and looking past the year and into the new year and new year resolutions is that there is no hope for change, I don't think. When so many families are dampened and dulled by crises upon crises upon um, poor circumstances, they're just fighting to keep afloat. You know, they're treading water. They're not instilling faith in wider institutions, i.e. the political system, and having faith upon their political leaders or the, the, the faith in the simple idea that change can come and their lives can become better. I've, you know, certainly haven't had that across my mind you know I, I and i said this before as well when we saw you know the ridiculous nature of um the conservative leadership over the past few months with you know leaders coming in and out and it just being a revolving door it's what what are you doing for the future generation that's looking upon this you've essentially just discredited a whole entire institution just forget the party i mean it, you know for me the party was done when it started but it's it's the idea that people don't or will no longer or are unable to look to their political leaders and hope and believe that they can actually better their own lives. And I think that's the worst thing about this whole thing this past year. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. And I think, I guess, all we can do is is hope that, that we've got people out there listening uh, to this show and obviously other voices too um, about the message that really is just listen you know i think it it will go a really long way in terms of making us have a have a healthier public discourse um everyone mm. is currently shouting to have their voice heard but unfortunately those who need their voice heard the most unfortunately given the way our society is set up seem to have the quietest voice so we need to give them a space to air their their needs their requirements their grievances with the way things are working right now um, and we we've heard of trickle down economics for years. Maybe we need to just rethink the system because clearly it hasn't worked. Mm. Um, but yeah, moving on. Um, I've got a story here. Deloitte, which is one of the the big four accounting firms, um, and a consultancy as well, 
Um, they've decided to reduce the temperature in their UK offices in a bid to cut costs and carbon emissions. And I thought I'd bring this in because I think it's quite interesting that while we've got people on the breadline thinking about turning the heating down, we've got uh, one of the world's largest consultancy firms doing the same. Let's not forget Deloitte is also the same company that was charging the government £7,000 a day per consultant to build the track and trace app, which cost us £37 billion. Um, But they're, they're cutting the, the, the temperature in their offices, so 22 sites across the UK, by 2 degrees centigrade. Um, and this is expected to save them £75,000 in December alone. Um, and so they've told their 23,000 UK staff um, that the offices are now going to be heated to not between 19 and 22 degrees Celsius. So that makes me think, wait, does that mean it was heated between 21 and 24? Isn't that on the warm side anyway? Mm, yeah just wasting energy um because i don't know about you but the way i was brought up i was just told well the heaters go on to stop the house being cold but you can wear a jumper that's not not allowed at home you know you don't have to wear a jumper only to go outside you know oh wait i i think my dad was a bit more on the um generous side actually yeah. and i guess that's because of the way that he was brought up but nonetheless 20 was like the prime you know privileged spot you know you, you hit 20 so i'm surprised that anyone really goes over 20s um you know like a it's like a big deal like 15 is just to keep you know the um bo- boiler going and you know a sweet spot is somewhere between 15 and 20 for me but yeah that's, yeah. that's quite extraordinary exactly yeah we we uh used to have it set at 18 and this year we got some insulation put in and this winter we've not had to put it up beyond 16 it's been fantastic Mm. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I, I understand that there are actually health and safety laws in the UK about how warm a workplace has to be. Um, but the minimum um, temperature for a desk job is 16 degrees Celsius. So I think 19 is fairly generous. I'll be honest, where I, I've worked in a few different places now. Um, and one of my previous offices was really rather warm, uh, which actually made m- me and a few others quite sleepy, which, which surely isn't a great idea if you're, you're going into an office to work. Um, whereas I think some people are quite concerned about if you have people who are cold, they're not going to do their best work. I know it's, it is a tough, it is a tough balancing act, isn't it? When you've got hundreds or, or thousands of people in a building trying to keep everyone happy, but yeah, there has to be something that surely is agreeable so that no one's too hot and those who are a bit cooler can potentially pop a jumper on or whatever. Yeah, and and I think there's something there about you know, you know obviously we've heard a lot. I'm not I'm not sure whether you, you've heard it too, nor she, but perhaps the viewers have as well about their employers asking and actually drawing up contracts um, for people to now come back into office um, because I guess initially there was obviously that um, you know cost of living crisis and the energy of actually just putting up the offices was you know just they were just burning money. So they, they, there was now this sort of imperative impetus and sort of focus in um sort of pushing workers back into the offices either you know hybrid working or um contractually being obliged to work a minimum of three days a week or something like that within the office so now it's interesting that i don't know whether it's a sign or the worst for now that you know being forced into an office that minimally one or two degrees you know i guess doesn't matter in the long term at all but i guess if it goes any further down then that's going to put a lot of people in a tricky situation because I know of fellow workers themselves who just go into the office to actually keep warm because it saves their own energy bills as well. Yeah, now that's really interesting you you bring that up because I, I remember I was reading something uh, which was explaining that 
if you work from home, your energy bill will be on average fifty pound a week higher than if you don't. Um, but mm-hmm. it, but then it got me thinking. For me to go into to my office, so I live in in the suburbs on the outskirts of London. For me to go into the office each day cost me almost ten pounds, um, just in travel. Um, so it just got me thinking. I'm not actually better off going into the office at all. I might as well stay at home. Now I think potentially I'm a little bit biased. I work uh, with technology, so so I guess one of the perks of of the nature of my work is that I only need a computer and an internet connection to to do my job. Um, so so I could work from anywhere, whether that's home, a local coffee shop, the office itself. Um, I'm I'm very lucky to be able to do that. Now I understand not every job can be done remotely from anywhere at any time um but yeah i think we had a really good period the last couple of years where people were given the option to work from where suited them best um and a lot of people were able to demonstrate that actually they can do their best work even from home uh, or elsewhere um but it allowed them to spend additional time with their families and, and their loved ones and surely we were heading in a very positive direction in terms of the whole work-life balance thing um and it seems to be regressing almost at this point. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, just a quick one on on that Deloitte story we talked about just a couple of minutes ago. Actually, um, Deloitte, by the way, have said that they're they're donating the savings from their electricity bill um, to a local charity called Scope, which is uh, there to support p- uh, people living with disabilities. So I think that's quite a nice gesture. Um, doesn't necessarily make up for all their sins but a nice gesture nonetheless um i think that's nice you know it just reminds me as well you know, we've talked about that like demon green but in like in this current environment and whatever I, I you know it was in the king's christmas speech as well um not to sort of um put any credit to the horrible political design circumstances that most of us are living in right now but it has brought about this sort of idea of service and you know the um, sort of relationship we have with one another and within communities, and I think I've seen a lot more. You know, just it's, I, I wouldn't like to call it a trend, but like a behaviour that tends towards being more charitable, whether that's with you know, like you said, like Deloitte in particular, um, but um, you know, it's also just with people and uh, communities, religious communities, faith communities, just volunteering more within their communities. Um, I mean, you and I both, and particularly as um, Ahmadi youth, you know, we've we've done as much as we can. I was about to say a lot, but there's never a lot that you can do. You can just do enough um, to to help people around, um, you know, around this country in terms of like delivering their own food or delivering vital medicines or, you know, um, increasing donations towards food banks. And this isn't just unique to our community. I think everyone has perhaps just decided that they know that we're in this sort of worsening circumstance um, and situation and they just start looking out for other people, which typically I'd say I haven't experienced more than perhaps in this past year. I don't know what you feel about that. Yeah, no, I think it's, yeah, it's it's an interesting one um, and probably one that I would like to spend more time on, but we do have to move a little bit on um, to our next topic. Mm. Um, which is obviously, I think this has been the the uh, main sort of air of concern, if you like, for for most people in the UK. We've alluded to it in in various segments of the show so far, 
but around the cost of living, um, which obviously is something I, I think you and I covered very, very early on in the year, probably, I think mm. it was, what, January or February time, something like that. Um, and and back then we were talking about oh yeah the, the the rising rate of the cost of food and and whatnot and this was before the Ukraine invasion and I'll be honest with you at that point I just thought well it's it's not that bad in interest rates are still really low the cost of food might have gone up by five or ten percent but it's not the end of the world just yet mm-hmm. but but no I think I've been proven well and truly wrong on that I think we've seen unprecedented inflation um, and we've also seen uh, uh, a drastic fall in living standards um, for, for for many people, which is partly why we've got so many unions out on strike at the moment. I think just off the top of my head, I can think of we've got the nurses union. That's an unprecedented strike. The first time in their history that they've gone on mm-hmm. strike. Yeah, um, we've got we've got various people from from the rail industry. Um, so we've got drivers, cleaners, maintenance workers, all sorts. Mm. Um, we. In the ambulance and paramedics as well. Absolutely. Health sector. Exactly. Uh, the junior doctors are hoping to strike, but they're working toward looking to strike um, within the new year as well. Yeah, yeah. And um, obviously earlier in the year, we had the uh, junior lawyers go on strike as well um, mm. of, uh, over pay conditions and, and sort of workloads that are, that are given to them. And to be fair, at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if a bunch of private sector workers went on strike as well, even if they're not unionised. I'm not sure how that would work, but I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened because after what we've seen in 2022, I think nothing's going to surprise me at this point. Um, yeah. But yeah, so the Resolution Foundation, they're, 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 they're a think, that, think tank um, that that is sort of uh, focused on, on looking at the quality of life uh, or for people living here in the UK. So it looks at things like people's incomes, the cost of living, uh, and sort of how that impacts day-to-day life for many around the country. Uh, and what they're saying is that we're going to face a groundhog year um, with disposable incomes plummeting even further than they did in 2022 in the upcoming year, living standards getting far worse before they improve Um and this, they they say, is going to be because of continued shrinking of pay packets in real terms, with wages remaining way below current levels of, infl- of inflation well into 2024. So I think throughout the year, we've heard on the news about this incoming doom and gloom recession. Um, whether or not that materialises, I think it will feel very much like a recession to many people if the, their pay packets can't keep up with the rate of inflation. So the think tanks believe we have reached the end of double-digit inflation. I think it was just just into double digits for December, and they're hoping that it should come back down into single digits in the new year. But what that does mean is we're still facing a rising cost of goods um, and services, even if that rate is slowing down. Um, and unless people are, are getting paid for it, then they're not really going to see the benefit of it at all, are they? Mm. Um in terms of of how this impacts people, um, what what do you think is going to be the outcome of this? Are we going to see more strikes? Are we going to see more families suffering? Are we going to potentially have a government intervention actually to to potentially cut people's losses here? I don't know. It's it's it's, it's an interesting um, situation to be in for all the wrong yeah. reasons. Um, but yeah. 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 
I mean, it, de- it depends. I mean, I'm, I'm reading this article and apparently another uh, MP's defence um, minister on Thursday, Ben Wallace, said something along the lines of that there's no magic wand to produce money for the pay demand. But that, that sort of, you know, deflating the argument that's being presented, the argument isn't that, you know, print more money and, you know, wave your wand to give us more money. It's design a system or an infrastructure that allows us to just um, live better. For a lot of the people that are striking, it's not just the monetary income that they're talking about. It's the situations that they're put in, the working conditions um, that, that are being forced. And then, of course, the pay erosion, nonetheless. Is, is one of the reasons that they're striking about. So it's just, I mean, what to predict? I, I, I think before people march out on for another strike, I think a lot of people will become severely ill before, you know, and I'm not just talking, you know, from like a health, um, from like a health service perspective of, um, you know, just the, the ill are going to become more ill. You know, the fact that you can't heat your homes, we know this, you know, it, 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 it exacerbates the risk of respiratory conditions. We've now seen that, um, in the NHS across the past few months. Now we know that you know the, our only health service that is affordable is. I mean, we keep talking about this looming collapse, but I, it's really something else. I think everyone is afraid to have said collapsed past participle that it's done and it is nothing over it now. That's why we continue to just hang on to the present tense that it's about to collapse, but it's never been at its worst ever, and so. There was this other incredible article that talked about how the NHS is a financial, you know, multiplier. It's a fiscal multiplier of this country. And so it should be recognized for its economic power. When people are healthy, they're able to go to work. When people are healthy, they're able to contribute towards the economy. So when you take away their health and when you worsen their living conditions because you've taken away their better pay, I mean, there's another quote that's saying that um, this year saw the biggest annual fall in disposable income in a century. Right. So when you create such living circumstances, the first thing you're going to see is an increase in poor health and unfortunately also an increase in avoidable death. And I'm, I'm just waiting for someone to actually report on those numbers um, because I think they'll be quite staggering um, to see. So I think that will be one of the first, unfortunately, um, sort of outcomes. And yeah, I think that will be widespread. Yeah, no, I think you, you, you raise an excellent point there that I think... A lot of people see primarily the issue as one of not being able to afford the essentials in life, whether that be heating, whether that be food. Um, but people don't see the the human impact of that, which obviously is on people's physical and mental health, isn't it? Um, to 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 put it into perspective, really, for for people, um, it's it's really, if you like, taking away your dignity when you have to go and decide whether you're going to feed your children tonight or whether you can keep them warm tonight um mm. no parent wants to be put in a position where they've got to make a decision like that and uh, of course uh, there there will be some people who say oh but you don't know how good you've got it compared to so many others in the world and sure they're not wrong but that's not necessarily the right approach here either because there are certain things we've all been privileged to have but that doesn't necessarily mean everyone has benefited from it equally in this country. And so it goes back to something I was saying earlier in the show about maybe talking less about equality and more about equity in this country, mm-hmm. Taking, uh, reducing the whole notion of the haves and the have-nots. Um, yes, as a country, we're incredibly wealthy, but that wealth is not shared in a fair or equitable way amongst all people. That's not to 
that's not at all saying we bring in a socialism model necessarily where everyone is given an equal share of the pie but there should always be incentive to to do more to do better uh, and for rewards to come with that but we shouldn't be taking away people's dignity just because of the circumstances they find themselves in at the moment there should always be a safety net in in my opinion um but we've also got uh on air with us uh, Malik the Cream. Um good morning, good to have you on. Um and I guess what would you say in terms of what are your thoughts about this whole cost of living issue we've seen throughout 2022 and potentially what are your thoughts going forwards for the new year? So Aslam, um one to you as well. Um good to be uh, back on the show. Slight delayed. Um so yeah, I've been listening in for the past few minutes. And again, it's really interesting to see different perspectives on this. You know, I think one thing we can agree on that this is indeed a crisis. You know, no one's debating whether or not we are in a cost of living crisis now. I think the only issues we're talking about really discussing are, you know, what are the causes? How can we prevent this? How has this happened, really? Um, and it is shocking that, you know, in 2008, we had a financial crash and the, you know, the economic doom and gloom that came with it. And here we are, what, 14 years later? And history is almost freeing itself, it seems like. Um, and why haven't we learned those lessons? Why haven't we taken those safeguards? And if we have done, have they worked? Because, you know, it looks like they haven't done. And at one point, um, I think Hamad mentioned earlier, I also mentioned earlier, is the fact that it's a collective thing, really, again, how we respond to this. Um, in times of need, Britain comes together, and, you know, the Western, the Western countries, they come together as in, you know, the Second World War under a great leader. Maybe we're lacking a leadership. Maybe we're lacking a clear policy, a, a clear plan, that will enable us to, you know, uh, focus on one step at a time, one aim at a time. And again, it's the idea that we're all in this collectively. I hate to go back to healthcare again, but, you know, this, this quote by Wendell Berry, you um, really reminds me of this, of this, this crisis, you know. It says, community is the smallest unit of health, and to speak of the health of an isolated individual is a contradiction of terms. Again, the point being made here is that health is a shared phenomenon. If we apply the same principle to economics and society and this cost of living crisis, just because a certain group of people created this, or some may say that some this is the cause of one person or one people, one party's policies, doesn't mean we're not in this together. In order to combat this effectively, in order to get out of this crisis, really, it's imperative that we start acting like uh, you know a whole unit, you know, not just one individual person or one faction of society against another. And so, really, that means the people at the top might have to make sacrifices to, to help the people at the bottom. And people at the bottom have to be aware of, you know, what's going on and how and they, you know, how they can reach out for help and how we can all work together to combat this. Um, so that's the one lesson really I, I want, you know, our listeners to take away. Or one thing that I personally feel is some good that might come out of this is that society. Hopefully, this is, you know, a trigger for society to come together and work together and pull together through there through this. No, you're absolutely right. I think it's in times of adversity, in times of struggle that that sure um there are many bad facets of of human nature that come out but more than more than that really are the, those bonds between people that do grow um i think situations like this can divide people but usually um potentially i'm naive but but it does usually bring out the good in in many people in terms of realizing it is a collective struggle um and and it's in our interest to look out for those around us as well whether that be to to give a cup of sugar to your neighbor um or whether that be to to i don't know 
provide a lift to your coworker on on the way into the office or whatever it might be um these things do help us help each other but again i guess not necessarily wanting to force that conversation but it does make you come back to why why do we have to do such things here in the uk a country which let's not forget is one of the g7 it's one of the wealthiest countries in the world um there shouldn't be this issue of of people with with obscene amounts of wealth right um uh, and on the other end of the spectrum people making significantly difficult decisions about when the next meal comes or or whether they get to keep warm tonight or not um so really 2023 it's it's looking like it's probably going to be a tough year for many people um and and to that end we just hope uh, and pray that many people do find uh a good outcome for themselves in in this difficult year um there are charities obviously out there who are who are supporting many people charities like humanity first with with things like food um but really it's a case of we've said it time and time again there are some issues that sometimes just do require tough political decisions to be made and it's one that you talk about Hamad where we seem to have politicians whose interests lie solely in in their own rank status and uh, and and their personal outcomes in terms of how much money they get put into their pockets um and not so much time being spent on on the needs and requirements of the people so we hope things will change um and what we'll do now is just take a short break and and we'll be back with some more stories uh for the new year thanks for listening and we'll be back with you shortly Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Selections from the writings of the Promised Messiah, upon whom be peace, the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement in Islam. Take note how the Holy Prophet of Islam remained resolute and steadfast in his claim to prophethood from beginning to end, in the face of thousands of dangers and a multitude of enemies and threatening opponents. For years on end, he endures such hardship and suffering as increase from day to day, enough to make one despair of success. It is inconceivable for a man with worldly motives to have shown such prolonged endurance and steadfastness. Not only that, by putting forth his claim to prophethood, he even lost the support he had previously enjoyed. The price he had to pay for his one claim 
was to confront a hundred thousand contentions and invite a multitude of calamities to befall upon his head. He was exiled from his homeland, pursued with intent to murder. His home and belongings were destroyed. Several attempts on his life were made by poisoning. Those who were his well-wishers began to harbour ill for him. Friends turned into foes. For an age which seemed eternity, he braved such hardships, which are beyond a pretender and impostor to suffer through. Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Assalamu and welcome back to Saturday Morning Live on the Voice of Islam Radio. You're listening to me, your host Noshi Zafar, and with me on the phones, I've got Hamad Khan and Malik Takrim. So, just going to move over to a, a live news story um, that's come in this morning uh, about the former Pope Benedict the Sixteenth uh, has passed away at his residence in the Vatican, aged ninety-five today. Uh, almost a decade after he stood down because of poor health. Now, first of all, we'd like to wish our condolences to the Catholic community. Um, and indeed, in in Islam, when, when someone passes away, we offer the prayer, uh, from God we come and to him we shall return. And so indeed, like any other person, um, well, now that the Pope's time has come, he has gone back to his maker. And we wish him, his family and his loved ones the very best. Um, I think if, uh, gentlemen, if you've got any uh, additional comments, please do share. Yeah, I think um, it, it, it's quite quite extraordinary and, and somewhat unexpected. So it was, I think, um, the, um, the, uh, the the papal office essentially um, to, tweeting out, so the Vatican, um, there's two different things saying with Sarah inform you that the Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI passed away at 9.34 in the Meta Ecclesiae Monastery in the Vatican. I think um, it, 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 uh, Pope Benedict XVI had quite an extraordinary and very historical sort of, um, I wouldn't say, uh, um, how do you say, legacy, um, essentially, within the Catholic community. He was one of, you know, the only um, popes to have actually um, resigned from his um, uh, role um, during his during his term, he cited some um, long-standing health concerns, um, and um, since 2013, we then had Pope Francis. But um, it, it, I, I think it's quite extraordinary, from you know, like a non-Catholic, to just look at the inner workings of the Vatican City and the Vatican Church um, and display Catholicism. You know, we're going to see in the next few days 
and how they carry out the funeral and procession as well. And it, 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 it is quite um, extraordinary to um, see another faith community um, solemn and worshipful. Um, and like you said, we give out um, our, our respect and gratitude and um, um, sincere um, uh, you know, regrets and um, hope for the Catholic community. Jazakallah for that, Ahmad. Um, yeah, so we thought we'd share that story with you um, this morning. Uh, of course, uh, at a time like this, it's always worth remembering, you know, that there are many different peoples in the world with, with different views, different beliefs, but it's at times like this where it's really important to come together and show your strength and, uh, and, and your friendship with each other. Um, and so, uh, as we said, of course, uh, we, we, we pass our sincerest condolences to the Catholic Church. Um, and, and of course, uh, this is something that I'm sure our listeners will be following uh, for further updates uh, as they come. But moving on, I guess, we've got about uh, 20 minutes left of the show today, gents. Um, just wanted to ask you, in terms of 2023, it's a new year coming from tomorrow. Um, do you have any plans, any New Year's resolutions, perhaps? What are you looking forward to most in the new year? And potentially, are there any challenges that you see that you're looking to overcome? Um, the cream, I think I'll come to you first. Uh, what about yourself, sir? Sure. Um, 2023, uh, inshallah, it's a year where I think I, I'm going to have to come to the, the realisation that I am no longer an adolescent um, and I'm becoming more of an adult. And inshallah, I'll turn 21 this year in February. And coming towards the end of you know the first three years of, of my degree, thinking about intercalating and so on and so forth. All these questions kind of are, you know, making me think about what I want to do with my future, really, and my, my life plan. And at the stage, you know, in a couple of years ago or so, or even a year ago or so, I was at the stage where all I knew was that I had a rough idea where I wanted to go. But I knew that for the short term, I would study, work hard in university, get my degree and think about things further. But now, you know, I'm looking at masters. I'm looking at, um, you know, stuff to do further. I'm looking at how my choices now will affect my academic career, you know, in, in, in five, six years' time, making financial decisions, you know, based on, you know, you know how my actions now will affect my finances, you know, in the future. And, you know, it's all kind of becoming becoming a bit real now, becoming a bit more adult now. And, you know, out of that phase of, you know, freshers year, out of the phase of, you know, getting used to what universities like post-COVID, and academically anyway, you know, it's it's going to be a real, I think, a year for change, really, and hopefully for the better. Um, and so, hopefully, you know, you know, I'm able to to make those changes and, and make that make make um, those improvements. But apart from academically, you know, spiritually as well, I think this year it's time for a reawakening. You know, in this in this world where there's a lot of changes, a lot of crisis, a lot of, you know, I don't think anyone can say right now that they're comfortable in the world or they're stable in the world. And really, that word stability is what is what I feel the world is lacking, and that's reflected in you know personal life and and academic and spiritual life and. And really, it's about kind of taking the new year's just pause, reflect, think about what's going on in my life, thinking about how I can take some principles I've learned recently, apply them to my life, um, listening to uh, influential people in my life's opinions and talks. For example, the Caliph of the Avenue Muslim community, um, you know, his talks and his sermons always inspire me and always teach me, you know, how I can live my life forward. And always a good reminder, you know, to stay on the right path and how I can, practical steps to ensure I can do that. And so going over those sermons again and, you know, making notes, uh, making, you know, points out of them and figuring out how to tailor that to my life is one key thing that I want to do more of this year. Um, because 
self-reflection, writing a journal, all these kind of things, you know, these are very important for, you know, you know, mental uh, progress and improvement. And that's one thing I've come to realise over this year as well, that I need to perhaps work on myself a little bit more. And so from a personal and spiritual point of view, you know, I suppose that's my, my, my plan for, for 2023. Um, anything else that I quite like, I'm quite interested in what Ahmad's I have to say. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's always, I don't know whether you guys saw that meme online or not about um, this, this, this 2020 and that guy's just blinking and now it's just 2023. And it's just like this continuation of like this ongoing, relentless sort of <laughs> unknown um, haze that we've been living in for quite a long while. Um, I, and, and I agree at the agree with what you say in a sense. And especially at these moments in our lives, you know, these inflection points, whether it's our birthdays or our New Year's, and we obviously got the New Year um, looming over us, it's, it's, it's a reflection point. And it's one that I think really at this point, everyone in this sort of chaos and uncertainty is just clinging to hopes of stability, right? It's either professional or personal stability. How can I, you know, just materialize a financial sort of better circumstance for my family? Or how can I, um, what can I use to help guide me both um, perhaps in, in, like you were talking about your professional career and most, uh, you know, most listeners and view, um, uh, will probably agree that they're trying to look for professional guidance. It's also spiritual guidance as well. I think it inculcates all, um, in all of these things. On a personal level for me, um, I, you know, I've got the bold spots to prove that I'm no longer young anymore, unfortunately. Um, I can't wear, you know, like a you know, youthful looking face, but um, it's, it's more so about um, how can I align different aspects of my life um, in a career that is uncompromising. And it's hard to do that when you've got circumstances around you um you know we talked about like the political systems in our country um and you know you're just fed with this narrative of doom and gloom um i i am doing i i'm still i'm still studying medicine and um i i, I want to forge a career in healthcare and I, I i say this to a lot of people and i think it applies beyond just medicine but i said it particularly for for, for medical students in mind but it's like we are the generation of students or people as it were just generally the generation of people that have, um, you know, persevered, persisted and dedicated ourselves to carry on in a narrative that is abound by cataclysm, collapse, crises, despair, doom and dissatisfaction. And in spite of all this negativity, you know, I, I think it's important for everyone, even listeners, just to realise that you're carrying on, right? You're doing what you're doing. You're doing what needs to be done, uh, you know, Congratulations to you and bloody well done for what a year it's been. And um, it's always just about how you can continue and better yourself in the new year. I think that's always the main theme that everyone thinks about, right? Yeah, and no, I think it's, it's, I think, a sentiment a lot of us can get behind, isn't it? Um, it has unfortunately been a lot of doom and gloom, particularly for the last two, three, three years now, yeah. Um, and so... Yeah, we'd all like to break out of this cycle. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like that's going to happen on a macro level anytime soon. So potentially 2023 is is perhaps the year where we start looking for those micro moments of happiness um, uh, and joy, isn't it? Um, Whether that be professionally, personally, or or just in the little things in life. Um, For me, I think I want to spend more time enjoying um if you like the little pleasures in life whether that just be going out for a walk in the fresh air 
or or drinking a cup of tea at home it doesn't not really sure what it is but i think i want to go and find what whatever it is i want to go find that joy uh in the little things because i think if we if we're going to look at the big picture it probably will be a bit doom and gloom so so we've got to find and make our own happiness really um in terms of resolutions i think everyone does the same resolutions um in terms of uh, there's always an aspect of uh, i want to make uh, whether it's physical changes to my life or or personal changes to my life um i think it's it's always important to 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 talk about your spiritual um place in, in the world um so where, wherever you are um and always potentially striving to be in a better place 12 months from now um and i think um a quite wise person said to me once many years ago is uh on the topic of spirituality and it was a case of we're all on a journey we're not at the same place but we're all on a journey um and and it, it did strike me quite hard just because it it was that first sort of notion of there are a lot of people who wish you well who 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 might have expectations of do this do that um but but our our spirituality is something that's deeply deeply personal to each person um what i consider to be a good step forward might be something someone might have done many many years ago but for me is a step forward um and and vice versa um so so really it's uh it's quite a personal thing that i think each of us can be spending those remaining hours of the year thinking about what have i done well so far this year um what would i like to do better um whether that be in, in my spirituality whether it be at work with my family my friends whatever it might be um but hamad i think um do, do you have anything to add yeah i mean just just off the back of what you said as well i think that there's two things one you you're quite right in saying you know that you're carrying your sort of spiritual identity is is quite important sometimes i always flip back and forth um i've been called ethnically ambiguous and so i you know i i i perhaps um sort of like use that as a sort of fig leaf um but there there are circumstances where i think um there's sort of courage and valor and sort of respect and admiration i have for people that are able to carry um their spirituality in every circle of sphere and life and influence that they occupy and i think that's one particular goal um that i have because you know if it's such a positive and dominating influence in your life then it it sh- it should be reflected in the way that you act in every in every aspect of your life right um that but that's not to say that you know it needs to be the one thing that everyone knows about you and the only thing that everyone knows about you um but i i think there's something um admirable about carrying your spiritual identity with you um so that was that was one of the reflections that i i just thought of um, when you were saying but the other was a bit earlier on when you were talking about um you know this idea of societal versus personal and how you know we can at least try and improve upon ourselves um despite the, you know the circumstances and why the narrative and it and it just reminded me about um you know the the prophet of Islam the holy prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam peace and blessings be upon him who essentially spiritually was in similar circumstances right he saw a world and particularly a society an arab society and sorry not well yes you can say arab not saudi arab but arab society that was tribalistic it was fractious it was in his a framework of understanding amoral 
um, bereft of any sort of positive influences or qualities. And so perhaps that's a bit extreme, bereft of any spiritual um, positive qualities. And so he would retreat to the cave of Herat, right? And he would and he would he, he would pray to such a degree, and this was always impressed upon my mind, that he, uh, he would pray to such a degree that 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 is when God revealed Himself to him. That is when Angel Gabriel came upon him, and that is that was the introduction of Islam to him. It was that circumstance where he, you know, left the environment that he was in, and he just retreated to his inner peace, and um, and eventually that was the way that he was able to improve it you know, his own society that he had around him. That's not to say, however, that, um, you know, a lot of people kind of take this narrative about, okay, that, you know, we need to become a bit more insular and retreat and find the peace within ourselves and mindfulness. No, I think there's, you know, a place for being, you know, for anger and justice and calling things out. You know, we've talked a lot about that earlier on in the show. Um, but there is, you know, a reflection to be made that there's value in just taking your time out to find your own inner peace. Um, and find that own corner um, for prayer and reflection. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I think uh, you were going to say something, Malik, weren't you? Yeah, just just one point about the you know the personal versus societal. I think, like you said, there is a clear difference, you know, between personal changes and societal changes. But I think there is a, a deep correlation as well, like you said. Um, and you know, one one quote by uh, one one, one uh, point that the Caliph of the Muslim community. Always makes me speeches is that in order to you know, bring about change in society, we have to bring about that change in ourselves first, and by example, lead by our example and show our example to others, so that they see you know how you know we are acting, and then they might follow us. Um, I believe it was the second caliph of the Hadith Muslim community that founded the Muslim the the youth branch of these of the organization, which we said that and please correct me if I'm wrong in, in, in quoting you, is that um, to bring uh, reform to a nation, you must first reform yourselves, essentially, was, was, the, was the point of his uh, quote. And so, again, it's that point that if we lead by example, if we are leaders in our own field, if we are leaders within our groups of friends and so on and so forth, only then we can start change on a micro level and then bring that on to macro level. It's very interesting. I was attending the AMSA a retreat uh, for the past few days, Ahmadiyya Muslim Student Association, and we had a talk by the the the, pre- the, the president of the um, the UK chapter of the Youth Association, um, and he made you know a very good point last night, a very similar point. So that in in our in universities and in our friendship groups, we should always try and be one should always try and be the group leader if that, if that makes sense. So they should try and be leaders essentially and not sheep. By being a leader. You first develop that persona that attracts people towards you, that magnetic personality, that charisma that makes you someone that people want to be around. And once you have that, then you can then you can show them your morals. And if you have good morals, you will affect people in a positive way. And in the same way um, that the societal change will, will go about is that if we are making personal changes, but again we are not conveying that change, or we're not that change is not being shown to people around us, not in an openly extravagant way or in an arrogant way, but in a very humble way, in the sense that when people see you, they know that you're a different person. They know you have different morals. They know that, you know, this is someone I look up to, I want to emulate. Then, then this is something that we can all strive to. And this is the way we can you know, improve society, in my opinion. And this is how that, that link between personal revolution and personal improvement and society can bring about. If we adopt people, if we adopt positive role models in our life, 
and if we aim to become those positive role models for others. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a, it's a really good point there, isn't it, about using your character to to really draw people towards your best qualities rather than being drawn by the world and potentially laying trap um, to, to any of its pitfalls. Um, I guess, yeah, so... 2022 it's been an interesting year 2023 potentially one of many many mysteries because at this point it could go either way it could be a very challenging year but i think like we've just discussed a year is very much what a case of it is what you make it to be um and so to that extent i think we have a lot to look forward to um of course we're currently sat. I'm currently sat here at the studio at the Battle for the Mosque. Um, there's construction going on all around us, and I'm hoping, for example, um, the 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 reconstruction will be complete in this year. So very much looking forward to hopefully seeing the mosque reopen. Um, very much looking forward to how it could be looking in just a f- few short months away. Um, but also case of other things like we discussed finding happiness in in your own personal life in in whatever way it is and using that to sort of drive yourself through the year looking to make those spiritual improvements from the smallest level to the largest one and really taking the opportunity where you can to help those around you um, in a time of need and i think we're going to see many people in a time of need unfortunately coming soon and so to that extent, um, we we can all just hope and pray that obviously um, God is with us uh, to, uh, to to ease that burden um, over over the coming months and years. Um, but it's been a pleasure speaking to you all, um, and I'd like to thank my co-host today, uh, Hamad Khan and Malik Takrim. Uh, thanks for having uh, you on the show today, and we will speak to you the listeners in in the new year very much looking forward to to our shows in the new year uh, have a have a great new year and uh, we will see you then